Yeah, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur, with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond Eight Figures, where we dive into the journeys entrepreneurs take to create the future that they see. Today, we have someone who I find really fascinating because as someone who has a tech science background, I actually have a chemistry degree way, way, way back that I've never really used. So I'm always fascinated by entrepreneurs who come out of the sciences and engineering backgrounds that typical tech startup concept to create these amazing entrepreneurial journeys. Today's guest has been a guest lecturer at MIT, has been profiled in Forbes numerous times as 50 women making impact in society, 50 over 50, just incredible background in public and private companies as founder and CEO of many companies. The work her current company, MetaWave, is doing now in building our wireless future is fascinating and just how impactful it is for types of technologies. So really getting a chance today to learn about how she looks at technology, how she dives into the process of creating technology that doesn't even exist, how she builds her teams, very fascinating, and then how she looks at her own personal success as this ability to create her own vision. So really looking forward to exploring this with her today. Please, let's welcome Maha Akor, the founder, CEO, and CTO of MetaWave. Hello, Maha. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I am really, really happy to have you here today. My pleasure, AJ. I was just telling the audience a lot about your background and where you've been and all the great things. I mean, I just love that. At MIT, your first job was as a professor, all this stuff, but you've done some amazing entrepreneurial work here, some great companies. Where do you see yourself as an entrepreneur these days? Where are you on your own entrepreneurial journey? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm a PhD student, graduate from MIT in physics. I had a few postdocs, so I know it would be nice one day if I become a professor, although I don't believe I'll be a good one. Definitely an entrepreneur in my DNA. Uh, my first experience facing this opportunity was in 1996, 1999. Uh, this was my first industry job where I had to build the setup boxes for both MPEG-2 and HDTV for, set- for broadcast networks, which they don't exist now. But at that time, everything was broadcasted via satellite and, of yeah. course, via these very large antennas on the ground. And as soon as I saw that HD quality in the lab, It became like schizophrenia. I go to the lab and I saw this amazing picture. I come home and I'm kind of so frustrated with the video quality at home. So I realized this is going to be the future. And of course, there are many obstacles that need to be overcome. And at that time, if you remember, in 1999, it was the bubble, where the optical bubble, everything, the fiber globe and so forth, and billions of dollars invested, many companies, both private, public, uh, were promoting (laughs) that. So I started actually looking at the last mile connectivity. That was my first startup. How do you really 
deliver the HD quality to under the fingertips of the user. The first lesson learned is that, yes, this is so cool, but where is the content? So you can have a great infrastructure, you can have great technology at the edge and in the core, but if you don't have the content to fill these dark fiber, um, uh, the business model is going to fail. And indeed, that's why the whole bubble burst. And then, of course, I started looking at optical has some challenges, of course, in in point-to-point -point communication because of the weather. So I started looking at RF, uh, mainly working on some defense contract as well as commercial that led me to MetaWave because we see a transformation, a transformation in a way that this new generation of call it automobile owner or, or car owners, have a different mindset from us. When we grew up, independence was get your driver license, drive yourself from point A to point B, that's independence. For them, independence is being always connected to your social media, to your network, to your email. So connectivity is always is in their blood. And perfect example, my daughter's a professor at Stanford. You know, she has a driver license. She never owned a car. She takes the train, she takes the buses, she takes Uber and Lyft, because it's a burden. Owning a car is a burden. Parking, yeah. you know, maintenance and all of these things. So mobility is going through a transformation. And I realized that five years ago, or even more than that. And also you see now also the connectivity is going through a transformation. Yes, remember, the, the 1G, 2G was all about delivering vo voice to mobile yeah. cell phones. Then we started looking at data. Then we started looking at apps with 4G and 5G is all about edge services. And COVID made things even worse in terms of delivering telehealth in real time, training in real time. Uh, so these edge services are going to become the main bread and butter for the carrier and it will enable additional businesses to emerge. So as an entrepreneur, you have to keep a dynamic view of your environment not being focused on just one passion in a very solid path where you cannot really deviate from it, but you really have to adapt to the opportunities and mainly understand which problem you're solving, understand who is your customer, and understand which value you're bringing. If you really don't fully answer these three questions in a correct way, because each entrepreneur can answer them with the bias of their view. So my number one uh, mantra in life is welcome criticism first and then praise second. Yeah, it sometimes feels more natural because I think many entrepreneurs, we have that constant in our head. We're always telling everyone, oh, it's going to work, it's going to work, but in our head, oh my God, oh my God. But these are very important things going. How has your ability to understand the problem, understand the market, understand the situation. How has that changed over time for you? Well, I love technology. I love deep tech. So although I did work on some software, some algorithms, which is great, but I'm not, I'm not a strong believer that you can provide disruptive improvement just by playing with, this, with the bits, with the zeros and one. I think the disruption has to come from the core infrastructure of the technology. And that's why at MetaWeb and Evers, when I was working uh, on defense contract, we always looked at the infrastructure, the hardware first, the, the, the modules, the, the integrated chips that enables this kind of capability first, before going and optimizing the zeros and one. 
So it's very interesting, and I know I'm, I'm a physicist. I worked yeah. on particle physics for my PhD, second quantization of field theory, the Big Bang. So quantum computing comes, I would say, natural to me. I was kind of surprised by why investors and large corporations, they went through this, I will call it an unfortunate shift from the digital compute to the quantum compute, forgetting that there is an analog compute that they could leverage with the digital compute to get a closer to their goals instead of going to the quantum compute uh, power. So, so there is a very high level of understanding I have, and actually I'm tailoring it with more and more quantum computer systems that's coming, but analog seems to be something that has been missed. In the telecom sector, it has been missed in the sensing sector and in the deep compute system. So uh, my daughter, for example, at Stanford and even at MIT when she graduated, she worked on analog computing. She's a computer scientist, but she worked on analog computing. Because if you take a look at our brain, these are analog circuits, right? They're not digital circuits. So this is why at MetaWay, we focus on the analog front end circuitry to optimize it, perfect it. And then, of course, the, go all the way up to AI and machine learning for real-time perception. Could you maybe explain what that would look like? Because I'm thinking of the video that you had shared on your profile of you know, the different examples of LIDAR versus radar versus other forms of identification. Is this sort of in the direction you're talking about? Right. So the perception, which is uh, once you try to eliminate the driver, uh, from the vehicle operation, we call it driver out of the loop, not in the loop. The liability falls into the service provider or the car OEM provider. Mm -hmm. And that's a very big responsibility, right? Tesla today doesn't take any liability for any of its crashes because the driver is in the loop, right? Uh, I don't care what they call about FST, but <laughs> it's not really a full self-driving car. But once you get to that point, real time, accurate perception of the surrounding becomes very critical. And most importantly, in urban area, urban dense area, where you have dense intersection and you have combination of human driver versus self-driving, you have trucks, you have bicycles, you have motorcycles, you have pedestrians, you have uh, roadblocks um, that, that could become a hazard. So to provide that high level of perception, in an urban area, you, of course, require all the sensors, especially the camera and LIDAR, because they provide the higher resolution. You cannot limit yourself to that scenario only, because these vehicles need to go on freeways, uh, need to enter and exit freeways, and those become extremely challenging, because now you're talking about operating the vehicle at a very high speed. And as soon as you get on a freeway or a highway, range becomes a very important factor. You need to be able to track, detect, and, and, and also analyze your, uh, your, your long-range uh, environment in real time and convey this information to the optical sensor. And that's what the radar provides. So early on, when I started MetaWave in 2017, billions of dollars were invested in LIDAR for a very good reason. It didn't exist. Radar has been around for decades. It's known to be this kind of a dumb 
very cheap sensor that does only cruise control. No one really thought that it can actually become a high resolution, long range uh, radar, not to replace other sensors, but to work hand in hand with other sensors. And that's exactly what I focus on. So remember, the problem we're solving is the missing sensor that can operate at this longer range reliably and can also operate in bad weather condition, fog, heavy rain, dust, smog, where the optical sensor starts deteriorating in terms of providing the real data uh, required to operate these vehicles. So that's basically where the the analog portion of the radar comes along, and we are so far the first company that's doing that. Combining the capabilities, because as computation gets further along, you can develop the ability to evaluate across different inputs. I love that. Yeah, because everyone is leader, leader. Yeah, everything you read, I mean. Which is great. I think educating the world, but I think they're overhyping the technology and there's a backlash to that. Yeah. What is something, you know, now you are, you're building this amazing, successful entrepreneurial journey on your own. You've been Forbes 50 over 50, all some amazing companies. What is something that has had a very high impact on your ability to be an entrepreneur? What would you say has had the biggest impact? Learning from failure. Many entrepreneurs, uh, they give up too soon, which is fine because the more failure you go through, the longer persistence and longer thick skin you develop and you become more and more tenacious in uh, finding ways to be proactive to prevent these roadblocks that will demoralize you and, and lead you to basically shut down the business or just give up too soon. So having said that, you have always to remember what I said first. You need to make sure that your vision, your passion is solving a real problem with a technology that will provide not an incremental improvement, but a a leap improvement over your competition. And timing is everything. You just don't want to put a product in the market where you know you only have one or two customers, the timing is everything, or you're too late, you have so many others already have a solution for it. So, so timing is very critical, but definitely learning from failure made me a much better entrepreneur. And this is my first CEO, especially during COVID, leading a team working in deep tech, where deep tech and for some investors is a taboo because they don't understand it. They understand better the zeros and ones. But luckily, there are still investors uh, believing, and, and I think they're absolutely right, that without these deep technologies, there is no progress in, in, an, in an overall uh, system, regardless if it's a mobility on the ground, mobility in the air, or, or connectivity in general. Failure is, there's so many different versions of it. I mean, one level, failure has become a fetish in the startup community, where it's like, oh, this, you know, I must be good because I failed. But you know this ability, you know, as you said, bringing in the awareness of yourself, your passion, and the problem you're solving, the time and all this balance. I think it becomes very difficult. I know it's been difficult for me as an entrepreneur, and I know in talking with other entrepreneurs, the ability to sometimes look past failure and look at the opportunity to learn from it. How do you go about doing that? You evaluate your passion, you evaluate the problem, the timing, but can you maybe walk us through a little bit of how you look to go past failure? First of all, you have to understand if this failure was 
100% due to you only, mm -hmm. or it was a failure that was triggered by external factors. And I think if it is triggered by external factor, the only failure that you can contribute to is your inability to be proactive enough to basically take these factors into consideration early enough so to avoid the shutdown or the failure. So I don't know about 100% because in most of my previous experience, I learned that those were all external factors. One thing I learned for sure, if you're entering uh, an industry with a new technology where you have a huge hype and all your competitors are hyping their technology just to get investors' money or to increase their stock price, history showed us these are doomed to fail. Yeah. And if you are pulled into that game and start drinking your own Kool-Aid, you're doomed to fail too. And that's something from day one I refuse to do. So in uh, my first company that we did optical system, there was another company that raised half a billion dollar in the 2000, which is now equivalent to multi-billion dollar investment. And they basically indicated that optical links can operate in all weather condition. And some of these links, they are on skyscraper where you have the morning fog, basically they're shut down. That's physics. You just cannot violate the laws of physics. So that's why I left that industry. And I think it was good for me. I left it early on because it collapsed at the end. And I worked on uh, on, on defense uh, projects where reality matters, uh, you know, and uh, well, that was very, very exciting. And then the second point, of course, is investment because there is so much you can do alone with um, belt tightening and at sweat equity uh, development at certain points. There are two types of failure. There is a failure that basically is caused 100% by the entrepreneur, mm -hmm. maybe yes. the vision, maybe the technology, maybe the market wasn't there or the, 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 the approach wasn't viable. Uh, so here, of course, the entrepreneurs need to pick up uh, from what they learn and move on to a completely different sector or different uh, technology. Understanding um, the early process of failure contributed to, uh, to this new path that the entrepreneur is trying to pave. Because if you just continue on the same path over and over and over again, in my opinion, I won't even consider it learning, but it's just basically failing one time after the other. But there is another failure where you did everything right in terms of you identified your market, identified your customer, developed a solution or technology that provides a superior benefit uh, to the consumer or to the, to the customer. But then something else happened, like in this case, maybe COVID hits and your customers are not paying you on time or investors are backing off and so forth. Then you have to be proactive. So when you see these things or read these red light flashing in your near future, you need to be proactive and, uh, and put other mechanisms in place to make sure you continue operation, especially if you believe that there is a green light uh, at the end of the tunnel. So definitely, I think in this case, it's not the entrepreneur's fault, uh, mm -hmm. but basically it's external factors that contributed to this failure. 
Uh, so some um, some entrepreneurs they succeed, others don't. And yeah. I'll give an example of Tesla, for example. Yeah. During the previous economic turmoil from the real estate bubble, I think he had less than a payroll. Actually, he didn't even have the payroll money uh, to pay his his employees, and that was uh, Christmas Day. And he finally got the, 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 the money, like the final day, the last minute before basically shutting down. And he lost uh, his, his co-founders. He lost uh, team members that basically didn't believe that this is going to survive. And I think that's the best thing that happened to him because that, I would say, fortunate situation. It's very stressful, very painful uh, on management to go through it. It basically solidified the core team to move forward once the the path becomes wider and the visibility to success becomes more clear. So I think, in my opinion, you have to go through multiple failures, maybe variety of them. I think the first one is typical, especially for, for academia professors mm-hmm. who are used to achieving some sort of results in the lab and publishing paper, getting a lot of uh, applause uh, from uh, from their peers, but then they go and take it to the commercial sector and most of them fail because they undermine customers' requirement from the price, the size, the power consumption, uh, the key performance metrics, because these things don't mean anything to academia. But once you go through this once or twice, then you learn and you adapt. I think, in my opinion, it's a personality as well. Not every single personality can sustain these um, uh, downturns. Um, yeah. We call it a roller coaster, which is it is. <laughs> sometimes it's shallow, sometimes it's deep. But it's a personality. And, and as you become more and more tenacious, you develop thicker and thicker skin, you basically can overcome, in my opinion, any challenge uh, as long as you already put in place the mechanism to uh, deal with them uh, ahead of time. I agree highly. And so much is it is personally, but you can be adapted to with time because well, maybe it's many people run away when they taste that first bit of the roller coaster before they get even further in. But I like that comment you made there at the end about putting in process in place. That I think is a very difficult one because it could range so much. And I think you're referencing for yourself, share a little bit of your thinking around what you put in place ahead of time to help you deal with this. Well, it could be from a business side, it could be from a technology side, from a team building side. Um, It's a whole variety of pillars that you have to put on in order to build your uh, company on top. I can give you a few examples. But what's critical here is that this doesn't come by reading a book. This doesn't come by watching a movie or a documentary. Mm -hmm. This comes by experience. Yes. One thing I learned over time, don't try to mimic or duplicate what other successful entrepreneurs did because it may not apply to you. Each sector, each technology, each startup may pave its own way to success. And by forcing it to uh, go through other paths could be actually that destructful. I think for like MetaWave uh, early on for COVID, we had to put in place, uh, and you know, startups typically, they, uh, they are very careful with their spending because of pre-revenue. 
But luckily, uh, collaboration was very critical to us. So we already put that infrastructure in place from day one to allow people, who, employees who have to work from home because of family uh, sickness or because of other constraints or have to travel. We have many international students. Sometimes they travel to spend time with their family abroad. So we already had that infrastructure in place and it worked. So when COVID hits, we didn't have to scramble. Uh, the only thing that we had to make sure is that the health uh, requirement for employees, because we're a hardware company, have to go to the office is in place. And that's something took us maybe a week or two to put together and train our team with. So the other, I would say, factor is, of course, funding. As you know, when you hit this kind of uh, challenging time, you have to make sure you have the funding to continue operation. And for this, you have to be proactive and follow multiple paths, not one or two, maybe 10 in parallel, hoping that three or four will come through. And then on the business side, make sure that you listen to new customers, what they need, understand these new sectors, and also work closely with your current customers to deliver on the promises that that, that you made them. Those are very important. I think that is the benefit of having experience as an entrepreneur, because I know early in my efforts, my early startups, that type of patience was very difficult and that very type of thinking. You hear that, but just the way you bring it to here to the audience is that idea that to rely on the benefit of doing it. It's this idea that sometimes doing the beneficial things, the process of doing the effort, not the process of trying to guess the coolest thing. It's this idea of like, all right, prepare, prepare for when things don't go, do the things you need. So you understand what you need to do. And that comes from the experience that you've brought to the table. That is something really interesting. How do you go about defining success for yourself now? So success comes into three different steps. The first step is laying out a a clear vision that is, of course, dynamic, but a vision that is validated by your customers and continue on that vision. I think once you start seeing pushback or you're seeing other technologies coming forward with better uh, offering, you have either to adapt or uh, transition to something else if your core technology doesn't allow you to expand in those areas. For example, when we started MetaWave, it was very clear that was a vacuum in these long-range radars for obvious reasons. That's why we're building all of these capabilities for the first time in the industry. And, and that vacuum extends to aerial as well, by the way, uh, for drones, for uh, UAM, UAVs, UAS, and so forth. So once you have that second thing in success is understanding very well uh, your competition and the technology you're developing and which kind of IP you have to put in place to protect your uh, your technology and create barriers for others to follow on your footstep. Um, so that, I think, comes definitely from the core technical team. And that's experience, by the way. And I, I, I saw... Uh, IP filed by professors coming from the academia, very weak compared to IP filed by entrepreneurs with industry experience, even if the technology origi- originated from university because it's mainly focused on the commercial sector. 
And then number three, of course, success is building a good core team. I mean, a strong core team that can work together, that can execute. That takes time, by the way, to identify and put together yes, uh, yes. And, and maintain. So those are kind of the three different steps that I uh, contribute to success. What is it that you are looking at now you know, for your own success to most work on of those three? So def- definitely the growth stage. Once mm-hmm. you start delivering product and mass producing these products and providing all the support to customers. So this is my first time as a CEO. And I think taking that company from small concept at the beginning to where we are today in five years was an interesting journey. I would do it over and over again if such an opportunity happens. But definitely, I think I'm excited about the next five years when we enter our growth stage. And, and mainly because many of our competitors overhype the technology. And we know very well that uh, we are on the right track. The picture we painted to our customers and the media and investors uh, is uh, accurate. It's consistent. And most importantly, it does not violate any laws of physics. Slightly important part there. How are you enjoying this? Because you've been a co-founder before. You've had many entrepreneurial efforts. How are you enjoying running the show? A CEO experience could be a very lonely journey, Mm -hmm. very stressful journey in some situation. But if you build or you put in place a good support mechanism from your executive team, that can shoulder you as, uh, as I mentioned, as you put these parallel tracks and execute on them, then it becomes actually an interesting and sometimes a fun journey because you really don't taste the true success unless you are really, really down that horrible coaster. So on that, is this something you see yourself doing for a long period of time or doing again on your next effort? Well, I think with uh, MetaWave, that is still a very, we're just at the beginning. (laughs) I really want to be part of that safe transformation of mobility on the ground and in the air. Um, So we're we're quite uh, fortunate uh, to be on the right track on that. And very soon, of course, it's integration with the much bigger picture, which is the connectivity, because as soon as you enter these cars, the car becomes your cell phone. And as that happens, a whole new areas of edge services could become uh, extremely valuable, not only from the, for the economy, but also for the consumer. You can actually request uh, a vehicle that allows you to do video conferencing when driving from point A to point B. So it has all of the equipment, all of the infrastructure, or you probably want to have fun. So you want to play games. So you, you request a vehicle that has gaming. Uh, infrastructure in place. Or maybe if you're doing telehealth, it can give you a vehicle that has the infrastructure that takes your blood pressure, temperature, and all of the above. You never know. So that's the future. Uh, And and that's basically uh, is uh, driven by uh, by the vision, which is already there, by the technologies, which already exist. There is some vacuum in some areas. Uh, Many startups are filling in these vacuums. And definitely, I think in 10, 15 years from now, the world is going to be uh, very different from what it is today. Now, I'm excited to see that because it does sound like it will be a lot of fun. Other than hiking out there and finding good trails, but not camping, 
What is something that you would like the audience to know about MetaWave or something you would like them to do to come check out the site? What would you say to the audience? So our company is built on uh, three core values. List them in the right order. Number one is humbleness. Many of our core team members, they come with 30, 35 years experience. They held executive positions before. But yet they go to the lab, they sit on the bench, they work very closely with uh, junior engineers, with new graduates from college, passing on that training, that information, that experience to them. That is very critical because there are a lot of uh, experienced executive and, and, and engineers that love to keep everything close to their chest. And I just can't tolerate that in my team. So humbleness is very important. Uh, honesty and truthfulness is the second one. Because I want my team to tell me the bad first and then the good second, right? If they're facing some challenges. So we build that in our DNA from day one. And then, of course, teamwork uh, is that when somebody has to take some time off to take care of a sick parent or, or child, we want the team to step in to fill these gaps and support them. For me, families always come first, regardless if they are single, married, or so forth. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. once you have that peace of mind with your family, you can definitely do your work in a more productive way. Outdoor is important because we sit for long hours in front of the screen. And I think just thinking and rationalizing and have a clear mind, I think hiking is, is clearly uh, good. I don't listen to music, of course. I just listen to the birds and mm-hmm. uh, watch the sceneries in front of me. San Diego is not the best place to hike because we have the desert. But there are a few trails uh, that uh, are enjoyable along the coast. But definitely, I uh, I miss those years pre-MetaWave where I used to go for weeks and spend time hiking along um, the falls, uh, you know, uh, the rocks. And uh, yeah, definitely, I, I don't camp. I hike 10 miles a day. That's no yeah. problem. I mean, mountains, but yeah. carrying the camping gear, it's not something I enjoy. I enjoy uh, the hiking and also the meditation that comes with it, especially when you're thinking about your next startup, your next idea, or the challenging you're currently facing. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I there is a lot of really good stuff for us and for myself and my own efforts for the audience to take away from this, definitely, especially around failure. Pleasure to speaking with you and uh, good luck to you and your audience. Thank you so much. I really want to thank Maha for coming on today. This was a great episode. I really appreciate her diving into that kind of concept that I think most of us don't really take into consideration, which is just how much timing, luck, et cetera, plays into this and how she utilizes her framework to sort of evaluate that. It's not just if it's technically possible, which as (laughs) such a brilliant person as Maha is with the patent portfolio to prove it, she kind of explains that, but that looking at what will happen with that technology and how can it be used and spending so much time trying to evaluate that I found really fascinating and something that we as entrepreneurs probably should take more. I know 
many of you, you know, when I talk with you, look at like, well, I see this happening in the space or I can do this. Well, great. But is the market going to be there? Is the market there yet? Is it still needing a little bit more? I mean, that's some good questions. You know, there's no right or wrong answer, but it's something that maybe we can spend a little bit more time into. The way she goes about incorporating her teams around then this concepts, sort of pushing them into it. And then, as I said at the beginning of the show, her personal success is such a great definition of what is possible to create based on, is it useful and can there be a market? But that kind of balancing point, it's not just a pure push into the technology. It is that balancing between what she can see, what she's seeing in the marketplace and what she believes her teams can create. There's a constraint there that is pretty much a lot of experience getting into that balancing. Just really fascinating. And it was so much fun to just really dive into a level of technology that I don't ever really think about, but has so much impact in our world. So please go check out MetaWave. We'll have some links in below, but just see this work that she's doing. Fascinating. And we'll have links to her LinkedIn and everything below. So if you want to reach out and speak to her, please go ahead. And as always, please come to beyond8figures.com, sign up for our newsletter, check out when we have new episodes coming out. So we have some great questions from other entrepreneurs who are looking for ideas around how to handle things. We'll share that and love to hear from you on social. We've been having some really great discussions in our LinkedIn Twitter's starting to pick up for us. So please come join us at Beyond 8 Figures on Twitter and then our LinkedIn page. All right, everyone. I hope you have a great day. Can't wait to talk to you with another wonderful episode. Bye-bye. This episode of Beyond 8 Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.